Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the Bunker Daily, the compact and bijou starter podcast from the makers of The Bunker. I'm Naomi Smith from Best for Britain and I'll be joining some more of the Bunker and Romaniacs panellists on our Bunker versus Romaniacs video live stream tonight, Thursday 2nd of April. It starts right after the entire country finishes applauding the NHS for its great work during the crisis and we're doing it on Zoom. Yes, there really is no escape. We'll be catching up on some of the latest news stories and answering your questions. So follow us on Twitter at Bunker underscore pod and Cast to find out how to join in. Now, these are challenging times for government and particularly for the Conservative Party, which finds itself doing all sorts of things it wouldn't want to do just to keep the country afloat. It's all very interesting viewing for today's guest. He is Andrew Cooper, Lord Cooper of Windrush. He was David Cameron's ultra-moderniser, director of strategy during the coalition, where he worked on same-sex marriage, the No campaign in the Scottish referendum, and the Remain campaign. After the 2019 general election, he was ejected from the Conservative Party in the Brexit purges, and now he's watching the activities of the new socialist Conservative government with great interest. Hello, Andrew. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Actually, I was ejected. I was ejected before the 2019 oh, election. Actually, my apologies. No, no, were, not at all. Were you were you ejected with Dominic Grieve and others? I was ejected um, in, in the in the uh, the great company of Michael Hasseltine. Actually, we were the two. Tory peers who have voted Lib Dem in the European elections, and, and we were both kicked out for that. Well, you're in excellent company uh, being ejected with him. Um, is it is it a misnomer to think of this government now as as socialist? I mean, is it is it actually communist? I don't I, I don't think that there is a, a kind of an ideology behind this that would, would would make that terminology appropriate. I mean, I think it is it is. It is what it has become, which is fundamentally a populist nationalist movement rather than one which was identifiably kind of conservative. Um, and to be fair to them, I think you know, in, in extremists in this, in this awful crisis, they have taken some powers which they're plainly quite uncomfortable with to some extent. But I think for the most part, whoever was in government needed to. But I think it's for that reason that some people have felt this would all feel more appropriate if we had a coalition national government rather than a single party one. Mm. And and you I mean obviously you are very much a moderniser um and you've seen the the party sort of lurch from nostalgia and nationalism as it did over Brexit and now sort of going further than Corbynomics, but as as you say, because of the crisis, because of Corona, you know how how does that make you feel um, about your old party? Um, you know, is it is it something that you um, sort of feel that you would like to be 
back involved with or is it just sort of interesting to watch this thing you know meld itself according to the the, the current need is, is just sort of quite interesting I, I mean I, I don't I don't recognize the party that I was comfortable to be a part of and I have no desire or intention of, of returning to it um, I mean to my mind it was it was that's much more to do with brexit than it is to do with the current situation um it the the brexit was the thing which totally sort of transformed the tory party and drove from it so many um mainstream political people and turned it into a party that was almost like a sort of cult in its devotion to a single idea um which was brexit which as i say to my mind that the tory party had looked more and more like an English nationalist party rather than anything else. Um, I, I, I don't think they're very comfortable um, doing some of the things they've been done, and I think arguably some of the criticism that, that I think could be levelled about the way they've handled the, the virus is, is that they were reluctant to take some of the steps that they should have taken as soon as they should have taken them. Um, in terms of, of social isolation and so forth, but uh, but also I, th- I, I mean I think they're they're conscious of the fact that um, this transforms the sort of the, the landscape on which they now have to govern. It makes much more difficult lots of the other parts of their political political project flowing out of Brexit. Mm. And uh, do you think that? I mean, you said that you, you almost described it as um, behaving like a cult with um, respect to Brexit. Um, obviously, this is a virus that doesn't respect borders. People are beginning to understand that, I think, perhaps more than than, than previously in terms of the, the argument for uh, isolationism and, and, and going it alone. To what extent do you think their sort of previous agenda can remain after after corona or or do you think it could get forgotten i mean one would think that it it seems like a fairly obvious sort of piece of rational logic that this is this is yet another example of of how you can't be kind of unilateralist in a multilateral interconnected world um which what what makes it even more bizarre and, and surprising that they they even you know in the last 24 hours are still doubling down on their determination not to countenance any extension to the Brexit withdrawal uh, 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 transition agreement at the end of this year. Uh, so, you know, not, not only not learning the lesson, it seems, um, from the need for international cooperation to deal with these huge global challenges like coronavirus, but, but also, um, apparently intending to, to, to plunge the United Kingdom into all of the um, awful economic consequences of, of in effect a no deal Brexit at the beginning of next year, straight off the back of all the economic harm that this will cause. Indeed, I mean this is supposed to be a Brexit-free podcast, but when you get Andrew <laughs> Andrew Cooper and Naomi Smith in a room together, or right, virtually right. in a virtual room together, um, the chances of us not discussing Brexit are uh, slim to none. Um, but obviously, even in this current crisis, Brexit policy is infecting government decisions, as you've mentioned um, with with the scandal over uh, um, you know not not working with uh, Europe on the pandemic. 
uh, the scandal over not joining in the EU bulk buy of life-saving ventilators. Um, and, and I'm hearing that you're particularly concerned about the transition period. Uh, for our listeners who aren't aware, that's when most things, it's the, it's the period we're in now, we've left the EU, but most things stay the same um, and we remain in the customs union and the single market um, until um, the transition period ends, which is 31st of December. Um, most trade negotiators thought this was an ambitious deadline way before we knew about COVID-19. So, Andrew, tell us why why would extending be the sensible thing to do? And what's the alternative if we don't extend? Well, if we, if we don't extend, then what we've in, we're in effect doing is taking a conscious decision um, to sever all of our relationships with the EU and to start um, in a, from the beginning of January next year with no rules or, or agreements covering trade or, or movement or anything else. And that will have a huge economic cost for the, for the whole of the European Union, um, but, but for the UK, for the UK most of all. So it's an extraordinary decision. I mean, it was, it, it seemed, always seemed very unrealistic, as you just alluded to, that it was actually possible to negotiate deals as complex as that, um, just in the course of this, this calendar year. And of course, um, not only would they have to conclude those negotiations, but all the, the subsequent agreement has to be approved by the parliaments of every single member state, as well as the European Parliament, and that could take months as well. So the timetable is always extraordinary. And, and, and now the, the, major, the majority of those governments are also dealing with their own domestic yeah. crises over over the, um, uh, the the coronavirus as well. Yeah, it's it, you know it's all consuming as it has to be as a priority in every single European country. Nobody has this on their their agenda as, as the, the UK government recently conceded. They actually in the same in the same statement in which they reconfirmed that they wouldn't seek an extension to the withdrawal agreement. They they acknowledged that. I think the exact quote was nobody in Downing Street is even thinking about Brexit at the moment. Yes, um, I think it was the Sunday Times reported this weekend, um, quote, no one in Whitehall is working on Brexit. Um, so so why is the PM still insisting that, well, we've, we've legislated for it, therefore we are leaving at the end of the year? Um, he, he's got an 80-seat majority. He could easily overturn that with new legislation, couldn't he? Yes, I mean, it, it does underline the idiocy of, of, of that piece of legislation, which, which was a ludicrous bit of posturing, passing a law to bind the hands of of the government to do something which it had promised it was going to do and had a majority to deliver anyway. It was just, it's just a sort of strange piece of political showmanship that sort of now has made it slightly more difficult and I guess more politically embarrassing for him to have to row back from it. But I, I, I assume, um, that what they're worried about is the, the purity of that promise made to people in the general election that we will get Brexit done, uh, you know, which was, you know, a, a vast, uh, oversimplification of, of, of everything that was involved, but presumably they're, they're worried about the political consequences of any sense that they're, that they're sliding back from that very stark promise. You are renowned for being one of the country's top empiricists, I think it would be fair to say. Um, 
and uh, and at best of Britain, along with our strategic partners at Hope Not Hate, we recently polled whether an extension would be popular in the country, whether actually um, the the voters would support um, Johnson and his government if they were to request an extension. And guess what? Turns out it is even 44% of Conservative voters want the government to extend transition. Um, why do you think that is? And, and does that, that fit with sort of other data that, that you at Populous have, have been looking at? Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's what all the data indicates. Um, I mean, the, these are they're, they're complicated issues um, that that lots of people don't necessarily spend much time thinking about. But when people do sit down and think about it, and when they th- think about the crisis that we're in at the moment, and and the fact that they want the government at the moment to be giving its full attention to managing us through this crisis. Um, it's clearly the case that most people don't want that to be followed then by a, a no-deal Brexit. And indeed, you know, most people, even though there was a, a consensus in the country that we needed to get Brexit done, to use their phrase, the country having voted for it in 2016, very few people are, are sort of ideological about that. Very few of the people who think we should get Brexit done take the same worldview of this as the sort of ERG hardliners. Um, and have always been very, very concerned about any risk of no deal Brexit. Most people never wanted that. Indeed, in you know, we don't want to relitigate the referendum, but um, it's very clear from from the data from the referendum that it wasn't the case that that most people would, were consciously choosing that as a trade off and as a, as a potential outcome. What they did was believe the reassurances they were given that that was impossible. Because, because it was said that the, the EU needed us more than we needed them and therefore we would get a great deal and it would be incredibly easy and that's what people voted for. So the idea that, that, that we would now suddenly bring upon ourselves all this extraordinary friction and difficulty and economic cost of, of a no deal, particularly to do so immediately off the back of, of this current crisis is, is extraordinary. It's not surprising that your the Best for Britain polling says uh, most people do not want that. Mm. We we also asked, um, do you think the government should seek to be a member of the EU's early warning system for medical emergencies? Um, and as I mentioned last week, the EU confirmed that not only was the UK eligible to participate, it invited us to do so um, and been turned down or, or we lost the email or, or whatever the excuse is. But a total of 65% of people, including 55% of Conservative voters, do want the government to seek membership. Um, Andrew, is, is this current crisis helping to promote the idea of working with rather than against other countries? Or do you think it's a snapshot just at this particular moment in time over this viral crisis and and won't sustain itself beyond it no i think i think i think it's it's a lesson learned isn't it in in, in, a, in a moment of you know of great soberness and seriousness in this crisis we're presented with this clear example of the fact actually the whole world is in this together it's not just we in the uk who are all in this together and we have a shared interest in, in, in managing this, that we have a shared interest in seeking solutions to it and finding finding a vaccine for it and testing and all the equipment that we need. And, and you know, it's, cra- it's crazy to be duplicating effort and not to be cooperating. I think it's just that's just a simple piece of common sense that, that most people see because, as I said, they don't, most people don't 
think of Brexit, this sort of ideological thing. Uh, They're not part of the cult of it that that, that grips so many in the government. Yeah, I mean, I I almost feel guilty because on on our sister podcast, Romaniacs, a couple of times over the last few years, we've talked about oh, what we actually need is a dress rehearsal for No Deal Brexit, um, and then people will realise how awful it is, and 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 you know, because at the moment it just sounds like you know something. Oh, No Deal. Oh no, no, I won't buy the car. I won't buy the house. You know, it it didn't really. The term didn't convey the enormity of the impact it, it could have on us, and. Uh, I definitely wasn't hoping that it would be a dress rehearsal quite like the one that we've got with coronavirus. Um, despite all all of this, um, and and even Conservative voters wanting a Brexit extension, wanting us to work with Europe, the Conservative government's ratings are incredibly high at the moment. Um, I think some polls this weekend putting them on over sort of about fifty four percent. Have you ever known poll poll results like this? Well. It's obviously it's very unusual, um, but it's interesting to note. You know, if you look at any almost any country in the world um, that is dealing with this with this virus, you're seeing the same pattern um, that that the, the incumbent governments and incumbent leaders see a boost in their support. People, there's a sort of instinct for lots of people to sort of want to rally behind the people who are in charge at the moment and trying to get us through this terrible, difficult time. Um, so I, it's unusual. I don't think it's particularly surprising that it's happening, and I don't think we should we should put much um, significance on it as a as a long term shift. I mean, I think support for the government at this difficult time is a mile wide, but it's you know, it is for many people an inch deep. And once we get out the other side of this. Um, you know that I think people people will revisit their views in, a, in in that different context. And the question then, who do we want to vote for at the next election? Who do we want to be the government in a completely different context than in the midst of the crisis? Finally, uh, as as we wrap up, Populist produces a weekly tracker that I have to say is incredibly popular in our office. The Better Written um, it it highlights the news stories that the public have noticed over the previous seven days. Um, we used to play on a Friday morning, guess what percentage of people have noticed Brexit in the news this week? And we'd all take in turns to say 40%, 20%, whatever. Um, and we do that every Friday. You know, that, that, that that's the rock and roll times that we have over at Vessel Britain, guys. Um, according to your uh, weekly tracker, how high is, uh, is awareness of corona by comparison to, say, stories about Brexit at the moment? And, you know, it is, is a challenge for us uh, for those of us that want an extension, that that while support for it is high, general awareness is actually incredibly low because of Corona at the moment. Yes, um, I mean cor- Corona is just you know it, it, it's astonishingly high. It's much higher than anything we've ever else we've ever tracked. Right, you know, up in the nineties. Um, but uh, there's a broader lesson from that research, and that's a question you know every week we ask. And it's a completely unprompted question of two thousand people in a nationally representative poll. Is what what stories have they noticed in the news in the, in the previous week? Um, so there's no prompting at all. And one of the things it tells us is actually the extent to which most people only have the headspace for one or two stories, and and, and things just crowd out other things. Uh, and it's very clear that at the moment the coronavirus is crowding out everything else in people's political consciousness. It's such a serious issue. So it's definitely true that at the moment. Other political issues, and, and most particularly 
Brexit and the, and, and the issues around the withdrawal agreement and the, and, and the extension of the transition um, just aren't getting people's headspace at all. And so I think there's, there's very low awareness that we have these, this, this cliff edge looming, um, let alone that the government apparently intend deliberately to, to, to take us off it. And and that looming deadline, of course, isn't the thirty first of December, is no, it's, it? It's it's the thirtieth of June. Yeah, it just explain to listeners why why that is. Because built built into the withdrawal agreement, um, which gave us this one year of transition in which essentially most of the most of the rules would continue to apply, while we worked out the future deal. Um, there's a deadline. We were given the option of up to another two years of the same transition terms if the deal was taking longer, but that we have to notify the EU by the end of June if we wish to take up the option of that extension, uh, which was which was in order to give them some protection to prepare if if, if the UK was um, was going to end the transition and, and, and inflict that damage on everybody. So, as it stands, unless the UK government notifies the European Union by the 30th of June that it wishes to extend the transition at the end of December, then on the 1st of January 2021, we enter effectively a stage of, of no-deal Brexit with all the costs that that brings. It was very telling that this week... The European People's Party, which is essentially the grouping of the sister centre-right parties uh, across Europe, uh, all... Of which the Conservatives were, remember, before yes. we lost our MEPs? Right, yeah. Um, well, they, 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 the Conservative Party was a long-standing member, uh, and David Cameron, um, I'm, I'm sorry to say, uh, took the Conservative Party out of that grouping, Um on the grounds that it, it, part of its constitution commits it to support for, for uh, ever closer union, but um, but it is it is the organisation that comprises all of the main centre right political parties in every other EU country, and and they together this week um, sent a almost sort of begging <laughs> message to the Conservative government: please, you know, please don't do this. Please do uh, extend the transition. None of us have, have got the time at the moment to focus on negotiations. You know, the damage would be huge. Um, mm. And it was in that context that the UK government reiterated that it didn't intend to extend the transition. And on that, that very cheery note of the fact that we are three months now away from uh, the deadline to request an extension to the transition period, that is the end of this edition of the Daily Bunker. Um, thank you for joining us, Andrew. What are you up to for the rest of the day? How do you make lockdown bearable? Actually, as a as a business, we've we've we have always done a lot of flexi working, working from home. So we're quite well set up for this, and 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 to some extent, business continues. Actually, and we've got a lot of interest from lots of different clients, political and business clients, about getting their heads around um, how people are responding to 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 the current situation and to the coronavirus. So. Fantastic. And listeners should definitely sign up to that weekly populist uh, news roundup. It, it, it is fascinating. Um, so thank you ever so much. Uh, we will be back with another Bunker Daily tomorrow. And don't forget our live stream tonight. Details on Twitter at Bunker underscore pod. Thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. The Bunker Daily was presented by Naomi Smith and produced by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producer was Jacob Archbold, and audio production was by me, Alex Reese. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production. Bunker.